If you have a Bible, uh, meet me in Philippians chapter 2. If you're watching online, thanks for being a part of that. Thanks for joining us, setting that time aside. Look forward to having you back in the room when the time is right for you. But uh, we're glad that you've committed to be with us. If you're here in the room, we are so glad that you're here. And uh, we're going to continue our series in Philippians and be in Philippians 2. So meet me there. There's some places you can take notes on the YouVersion Bible app. It'll have my scriptures that I'm doing there. Otherwise, they'll be on the screen. Um, you know, as we, as we jump into it, after being married for a few years, my wife Camden and I, we've been married for 12 years, coming up on 13 years, and we've got three kids, and so lots happening at the Coon House. But after being married for a few years, Camden and I started to ask for wisdom from a few other couples. Right, We thought we could do it on our own, thought we were pretty awesome, we were Christians, young, but we quickly recognized like we're in this for the long haul, right? Like we want to be the old people holding hands at the mall, not really there for any reason, just walking around holding hands. We wanted that kind of love story, but we were very young and probably, no maybe not probably, we were immature, but we knew at least this much that we needed wisdom, right? Like we, we needed some people to give us wisdom. And one of the pieces of wisdom that was given to us is that when we were, um, we don't call it fighting at the Coon House. We call it intense fellowship because um, that's what Jesus people do. But when you're having intense fellowship or arguing or fighting or whatever you call it, never to use absolutes, right? Never say words like never or you always, or things like that. Any married couples know what I'm talking about? All of you, every one of you is like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. You're a liar, and I'll pray for you after the service. But why? Why, 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 are, why was that such good advice for us as a young couple, to not say things like that? Because those kind of absolutes carry with it a certain kind of weight. A certain kind of finality of truth and an air of like one wayness, like this is who you are and it's not going to change. And so there's no other options here. This is who you've become. And so it was really good advice. And as I was considering the events of last week and you know one of the things in this culture and with social media and all the things is you know pastors are expected to have a statement and and have a thing to say and and whatever the case may be but I think what James tells us and being quick to listen and slow to speak is important but as I was thinking about the events of last week and really the last year over the last year I want the Bible, which just so we're clear that at Redeemer City Church, we believe is the inerrant, inspired, infallible word of God to us, the body of Christ. That they are the very words of God given to every one of his children. That that word would speak directly to our situation, and it does. Not to the world. This is a very important point right here. 
I'm not preaching to the world right now. I'm speaking to those of us gathered as the body of Christ. And if you're watching online, I'm talking to those of us that call ourselves Christians. And if you're not a Christian today, welcome. I want to paint a picture for you of what the body of Christ is supposed to look like and doesn't because we're broken people living in a broken world and there's room for another broken person at Redeemer City Church. And so if that's you, welcome. And uh, we'll talk for a little bit, have a family meeting, and then uh, I'll invite you to join the family here at the end. But I do want to dive in, not to the world, but to Christians. And please don't tune me out because this is a vision in moment. We talk a lot about how we worship and uh, praise the Lord and vision up and fixing our eyes on Jesus. But when we do that, it doesn't stop there. That as we fix our eyes on Jesus, he moves in, he draws near, he comes close, he takes residence in our life and he begins to rearrange the furniture. We call it transformation. And so there are things that happen as Jesus comes in. And today, we have to take inventory of our spiritual life. As a follower of Jesus, in this moment, in this climate, we have to take inventory of who we are in Christ. Because here, here's what happens is, even if you are spiritual and you are uh, going to church in these things, you can still just be a mystic version of your selfish self. Does that make sense? That, that I can go to church and I can enjoy the music and I can even do a Bible reading plan on you version and still be all about me. Loving spirituality, loving the religious nature of what we do, loving tradition, loving all the things, but not actually loving Jesus and submitting to his way as Lord of our life. We have to take that inventory. Because what Jesus prayed for in John 17 is that we would be one and that that is actually how the lost and dying world would be drawn to who we are and what we do. That it would be our unity that would produce that and add to our number daily those who are being saved as Acts talks about. So last week we talked about three pillars. These aren't, these aren't going to be on the screen for you. But in Philippians 1.11, just listen to it. It says this, that Paul's prayer, his aim, his goal, his love for, his, for these people in this city was this, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That that would be our reality. That when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, that as a child of God, what would be true for you as you step into the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that you as a child of God would be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. That that would be the reality of your life, not because you produce it, but because God did. Because Jesus Christ on the cross uttered the words, it is finished as he gave his life for you to be made right with God. 
And if you're not a Christian, that is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. That our God didn't call us to be better, but he saw that we couldn't and came for us to be better for us. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's what's different. But that produces a certain worldview for us, right? That, that, that if that is my reality in Christ, it produces a certain worldview for me. And that comes in verse 21 of chapter 1, where Paul says this, For me to live is Christ. If I live, I get to serve the Lord with reckless abandon because he's in charge. And we need that word in this moment. That for me to live is Christ. But then this worldview is true too. But if I die, it's gain. Why? Because if I live, it's Christ. If I die, it's Christ. I get to be with Christ. And so our, the reality of who we are in Christ changes our worldview. It changes the way we live. And then we have a totally different aim as Christians than we did when we were not a Christian. The whole aim of our life changes. If that's the reality and our worldview shifts to, use me, Lord. If I die, great. If I live, great. That worldview shifts the aim of our life, which is verse 27. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that is where I'm concerned about the body of Christ in this cultural moment. And so you might want to pick your toes up. I might step on them a little bit. Okay. Because as we continue with those three pillars in mind, the Bible says some very specific things to those of us who are Christians about how we live in this world amongst each other as the world watches. And I want you, as I read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, I want you to please note all of those absolutes that Paul says about our life in Christ. Remember, we don't say them to each other because, well, we're not God. But God lays out some things and uses absolutes on purpose because there is no other way for you and I to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Are you tracking with me? That he uses this language specifically because there isn't another option. That there is no other way to actually be a Christian in this life. So let's look at it together here. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, it says this. If there is, what's it say? Any. If there is any encouragement in Christ. That's a massive statement. If, if you have any encouragement from being found by God, adopted into his family, redeemed, restored, set free. If there's any encouragement from that. He keeps going. If there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is working in you at all, right? That's what he says. If there's any working of the Holy Spirit, if you're participating in the future, we talk about that. If there's any of that going on, 
If there's any affection and sympathy, what's Paul say? Complete my joy by what? What's, what's the fruit of righteousness in the church? What's the fruit of righteousness in your life and mine? If there's any, any, any shot at all that we are with and for and from Jesus, here's what Paul says. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unity. Unity amongst God's people is the fruit of righteousness. And we're about to talk about all the things that have to happen, all the things in us that have to die for that to take place. Because it takes a great amount of humility. But, but I just, I just I want, before we keep reading, to really feel the weight of those absolutes. That there is no other way to be a follower of Jesus without these things. Because if there's any comfort from Christ or encouragement from Christ, if there's any participation in the Spirit, we're to be of one mind. That's a big, big thing. And here's why I say that's such a big thing. And if you're watching online, don't tune me out either. Because here's the thing. We are so so selfish aren't we we really are we really are and that that just can can we just together agree even though we struggle with that that that's not the way of jesus right because here here's what here's what is supposed to happen when the body of christ is of one mind Listen to this, more absolutes. Do, in verse 3, how much selfishly? How much? What's it say? Do nothing. (laughs) How's that going? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Confession, I have failed miserably at that. Maybe I'm doing okay at that this morning, but probably not. Yesterday, no chance. It's home all day with my three kids trying to paint a room. You know how that goes. Lost my testimony a few times. <laughs> Kidding. Sort of. I, I just We have to feel the weight of that, don't we? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here it is. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I think, I I want to be careful, but at the same time I want to be honest with you. Is that when I see things on television that bear the name of Jesus, but are out of complete and utter selfishness and vain conceit, with no humility and not considering anybody better than ourselves, it makes me grieve. Because it's not at this point about being right or wrong economically. It's about as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're to do nothing 
out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Even if we, it doesn't say if, unless you disagree. That's not what it says, is it? Is that what it says? That's not what it says. It's not what it says, but we act like that's what it says, don't we? And I'm talking to myself. We act like that's what it says. We act like it's, it's okay if I'm right to start not considering those people better than myself. That's not what it says. It's not what it says. Let's keep going. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You say, but Mitch, that's impossible. It's not. It's not impossible. Because this mind of humility is yours, but only in Christ. You won't do it on your own. I won't do it on my own. And when I choose to get up and live in my flesh, I don't do it. But it's yours in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Who, though he was in the form of God, in other words, he was deity, he was 100% God, did not count equality with God, did not count being a part of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He didn't count being part of the Trinity, the Godhead, being the Son of God, being God, a thing to be grasped. In other words, because he was God, he didn't hold on to that just for the sake of himself and being God. But, listen to this, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the mind of Christ. I, do you think that the people around him when he was walking to the cross agreed with him about all the things that he was saying? Of course not. They killed him. It was highly offensive, the things that he was saying to them about themselves. And they killed him for it. So this idea that people just need the truth and... You know, that, that I have to defend the truth and, and do all the things. Jesus didn't. He spoke the truth in love and some people were transformed and some people were completely ticked off. But Jesus modeled for us a different way than our culture is modeling for us. He emptied himself. And we're told to have the same mind that Christ is. He emptied himself. Even to the death on a cross. Here's why that can be good news though. That's not all bad news. I know I'm drawing your attention to it. But it's not all bad. Let me show you why. Look at verse 9. Therefore... Because that's true, therefore, God, the Father, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. What a powerful, powerful statement. And listen, this, this is, you know, we live, we live in a culture that truth is very fluid. Truth is very fluid. It can be over here today, over there tomorrow, over here for you, but over here for me. And we're told to celebrate all of that. But here's the reality. There is an objective standard of truth. And it's a person. And his name is Jesus. And there's coming a day where at his name, every knee will bow. But that's such good news because look around. Look around. The world, how's the world doing at producing peace? They're not. They're not. And we don't need to act like it is. That no matter how many policies change or how many times we vote this way and then we vote that way and then we vote this way and then we vote that way, no matter how many times we do that, it's not going to produce the thing that only Jesus Christ can produce. And so for those of us who are in Christ, we live a different life. If anybody who was perfect could have looked around and pointed fingers about all the things that people are doing wrong, it could have been Jesus, right? He could have, but he didn't. He didn't. But he became our servant. The objective standard of truth is not how we feel. It's not how we feel. It's not how our particular political party feels. The objective standard of truth is the highly exalted King of Kings and Lord of Lords at whose name every knee will bow. And can I just be really real with you? The world, the culture is not going to go first. They're not going to change first. They don't have the answer that produces the change that we need. The church has to go first. You and I and those of you watching online who call yourself a Christian, we have to go first. Because if I die, awesome. I get to see Jesus. But if I live, what did Paul say last week? It's fruitful labor for Christ. We live in a completely different mindset. So look at Philippians 2 verse 12. Paul says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out someone else's salvation with fear and trembling. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It says, work out your own, (laughs) work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and let the Lord of heaven and earth handle the others. But we do have a role to play in that. Look at what he says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for, I love this, for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Here we go again. You ready for this? Do how many things without grumbling? All of them. What? I can't ever complain about anything. I'm out. (laughs) 
Help me, Lord. Take me home. (laughs) Think about that. You want to talk, you know, it's not your hairstyle or your clothing dress that's going to change the world. It's going to be when somebody meets you and you never complain. What does that look like? I don't know if I've ever met a person like that. Maybe I have. I don't think Sherry's ever complained in my presence about anything. (laughs) She's saying it's a lie, but I'm pretty sure I've never seen Sherry complain about anything. We give her some awesome jobs around here too. Just feel the weight of that. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Wait a minute. No disputing either? So I shouldn't yell my point of view and expect you to get it? Moving along. Why is that so important? Why is it so important for us to be insanely countercultural like that? Why is that so important? Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here it is. Here's your role. Here's how we participate. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. We don't need to fix their system. We need to offer them a completely different and better system. We don't need to fix our kingdom. We need to offer his kingdom. That's what it means to shine as light in a crooked and twisted world. How do I do that? Verse 16. I love this verse. You should circle this. So what do I do? Hold fast to the word of life. Who's the word of life? Who is it? Jesus. I mean, it's the Sunday school answer. You can't get this wrong. Who's the word of life? Jesus, right? I believe in you online that you were louder. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I, here it is, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. But, but pastor, it's not fair. It's not fair. All these things happening in the world, it's not fair. According to God, it doesn't matter. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Listen, it's time for the church to wake up. We are not offering a solution to a broken system. We're offering an altogether different kingdom of God. One where God breaks out of heaven into space and brings his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And no, it won't change the way you look or I look or they look. It'll look like this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. 